Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Hello, Timberlake. All right, the energy's halfway there. That's all right. It is good to be with you. As as was mentioned earlier, my name is Dave. And believe it or not, I have been guest speaking at Timberlake now for almost 10 years. And the reason I tell you that, I promise you I am not exaggerating, and this is not hype. Of all the times I've ever spoken here, I think this weekend is probably my favorite weekend that I have been looking forward to. Uh, primarily because I love the topic of, of, of relationships, and I love the topic of marriage. And I actually feel like I'm pretty qualified to talk about this topic because of all the marriage counseling I have been at in my life. And that is not an exaggeration. I have been to a lot of good marriage therapy, and so I feel like I've got some stuff that I can regurgitate towards you uh, a little bit today. Uh, now, inside your program, there's an outline if you want to follow along. I do want to warn you that we're not going to get to probably a lot of the fill-ins to later on in the talk, but uh, we will get to them, and hopefully we will end on time an hour and a half from now. <laughs> so... This summer, my wife and I celebrated our 21st anniversary, and for me, it was a huge milestone because it was our, uh, like I said, 21st anniversary. I got married when I was 21 years old, and so I can officially say I have now been married longer than I've been single. Anybody else with me? You've been married longer than you were single. Oh yeah, there's several of us here uh, today. I know this firsthand. Marriage has its challenges. Marriage has its complexities. On the way actually driving to speak at Timberlake today, I heard an advertisement on the radio uh, about jewelry, and it was a whole jewelry line, and believe it or not, it was from Fred Meyer of all places, Uh, but the advertisement somewhere early on, uh, they made this statement. They said, falling in love was easy. And I thought, that is the truth, right? Falling in love is easy, staying in love, hard work. Exchanging vows, easy. Living out those vows, hard work. And the reason it's hard work is because marriage is the merging of two very different individuals into one individual, into one person. At least that's the goal, right? And I know we love to think when we get married, oh, we have so much in common. But we don't take a whole lot of time to think about all the things we don't have in common. Right? It's possible because we grew up in two different households that we have different political views. We have maybe different religious views. Even if uh, you both grew up in a home that went to a uh, Christian church week after week, it's possible that one of you is more conservative in your beliefs, other of you is maybe a little bit more liberal in your beliefs. Uh, Our education can be different. Maybe you went to a private school or you were homeschooled and your spouse went to a public school. Our cultural backgrounds can be different, even though maybe we even came from the same country. If you 
lived in a small town and your spouse came from a big city, that affects our thinking and the way we interact with each other. The way we communicate and the way our families communicated when we are grown up, very different. When we get together with my wife's family, it is like going to a library. Everybody is quiet, there's very little drama and very little interaction with one another. My family, I come from a very large family, and so every time we get together, it's like going to the carnival. All right, there's noise, people are running around, everybody is like a sideshow fighting for attention. I'm not exaggerating, we've got over 20 kids that are running around, and so there are noises coming from every direction of the house, random smells, a lot like going to Levi's Stadium, where the 49ers play, and we've got all of these crazy things happening, just a very different world than what my wife came from. And so trying to take our unique differences and to blend them together and to become one and say, we're united, we are, team us, right? That's a challenge. One of you is a morning person, the other is a night owl. One of you likes to spend money, the other likes to save money. One of you likes to cuddle, the other is a porcupine. One of you is an extrovert, the other an introvert. One of you is a clean freak, the other a slob. One likes to be prompt, the other fashionably late. One of you loves romantic comedies, the other loves good movies. All right, so we've got (laughs) these differences. And then to add to the complexity of the fact we grew up and we have very different ways of approaching life, life's filled with transitions. The birth of a baby, the death of a loved one, the diagnosis of an illness perhaps, finding a job, being promoted, losing a job, weight gain, weight loss, financial changes, moving, depression, disagreements, children, teenagers, aging bodies, aging parents. Over time, transitions and changes are an inevitable part of every relationship. And every one of those transitions and every one of those changes affect and shape who we become. Think about this, I mean, this is crazy. Every couple of years in your marriage, because of the changes and transitions, you are literally married to a different person than you were a few years earlier. Because transitions and changes shape us. Now, of course, I'm not anti-marriage. This isn't a boo-marriage type of talk. As you might imagine, as a pastor, I officiate lots of weddings every single year. Uh, I've officiated many already in 2017, and I personally love officiating weddings because to me, it's the birth of something amazing, the birth of something new. It is like watching this new family being born. It's almost like being a midwife, and just none of the blood or screaming or excessiveness, right? Drama. Well, I'm not anti-marriage in any way. And yet at weddings, I know that not only do I see people exchanging vows and promising to be with this person that they have grown to love and respect, but I know deep down that they're also making a commitment to be with this person when they evolve into a very different person because of the transitions and changes in life. There's a book in our Bible called The Song of Solomon. It is a 3,000-year-old poem about two lovers expressing their love to one another and their thoughts to one another. Well, early on in the book, one of the lovers expresses 
uh, his thoughts to his lover, and he alludes to the different transitions in different seasons of a relationship. Here's what we read. He says, my beloved spoke, well, we read, my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me, see, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooling of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So there's this excitement and anticipation and the lover is saying to his beloved, he's saying, hey, this is a new season for us. And in just a minute, what I want to do is I want to unpack this idea of transitions and seasons in a relationship. But before I do that, I want to make this observation. And that is marriage is a fascinating concept. Because regardless of the statistics and the horror stories and the Ashley Madison scandals that seem to paint marriage in a very bad light, every single season, couples stand on beaches or they stand in beautiful facilities and they get their engagement photos and they register for towels and they invite their friends and their family to witness a ceremony in which they exchange vows with one another. And then, of course, they party by eating cake and dancing to some 80s cover band and all the songs that come with it all night long. I mean, there's still something in us that loves this idea of marriage. For some reason, we continue to torture ourselves with this outdated custom that shackles two people together with the promise that we're going to be faithful to one another until we're standing over the grave of the other person. I mean, let's just be honest. In 2017, the idea of monogamy doesn't even seem realistic. There isn't another institution or arrangement that has consistently caused so much agony and heartache than giving their life to another person and having it collapse and fall apart. So why do we do it? Why do we have the ceremonies? Why do we exchange the rings? Why do we sign the legal documents? Well, the obvious answer is love. But for most of recorded history, this term Love was just too fragile. This idea that we would base something on emotion or attraction just seemed too fragile to make a lifelong commitment on. In many cultures, the purpose of marriage was having babies, or it was to create a strategic alliance between families or to make some uh, political uh, arrangement. Sometimes it was about security or about a business transaction or a way to increase financial stability. This idea of mutual attraction and sexual connection really wasn't that much of an idea and a concept in a marriage relationship until about 100 years ago when women started to finally and thankfully gain equality with men, when contraceptives were introduced that allowed for people to plan their families And that's when marriage started to evolve into the purpose it is today, and that's for love, security, and happiness. Well, regardless of what era of history you want to focus in on, the reason people get married 
is because ultimately in the core of our being, we believe that two are better than one. The author of Ecclesiastes writes these words. He says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can spoon, oh, oh, I'm sorry, can, can keep each other warm. That's what it was, I'm sorry. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and make it clear that this verse is not intended to discredit any of our single friends. Okay, Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. The prophet Jeremiah was single. John the Baptist was single. When I initially wrote this talk a couple months ago, Taylor Swift was single. Okay, she's no longer single, but here's the deal. There is no shame in being single. What this verse is saying is that generally speaking, having two people work together on something is a good thing. We find strength and support and encouragement when we're working together with someone. Now we know this intuitively, which is why most of us at some point in our life choose to get married. And the first day of our marriage starts out with a lot of pictures and big cheesy smiles and big promises. And then after the ceremony, we spend the next 30 years of our life trying to live out the commitments we made in the first 30 minutes, which would be easy if life was predictable, but it's not. It'd be easy if life was static, but it's not. Life is constantly changing. Our bodies change. Our beliefs change. Our environments change. Our abilities change. Our level of intelligence, our mind, it changes. Everything in our world is in a state of fluctuation. I think about my wife and I. Uh, we started dating back in 1995, okay? I mentioned earlier we've been married for 21 years. In that time period, we have lived in six different states. I've worked at, uh, I've been on staff at six different churches. Uh, we've lived in 13 different homes. We've had two biological children. We've adopted a child. My wife lost her mom. Her dad got remarried. My, my wife, who was adopted herself, she found her birth mom. I started a church. I developed a dad bod. I mean, there have been lots of changes. And every change that we experience in life and the way we process those changes determine the season of marriage that we're in. Some seasons, they come about as a result of choices we made. We saw them coming. They may be good seasons, they may be not so good seasons. All right, there are other seasons that quite honestly, they arrive unexpectedly and uninvited. One of the most tragic seasons of my life was when my brother Rick was killed back in 2008. I've talked about that here at Timberlake Church before. Some seasons come and they go quickly, other seasons drag on and on and on. Some are fun, they're enjoyable, while others are very difficult and it's everything we can do to just hang in there. And to remind ourselves that this is just a season. Every time that our relationship moves from one season to the next season, the dynamics of the relationship changes. So, before we talk about those specific seasons, I do want to state this, that regardless of what season your relationship is in, and I hope you can identify that season today, 
the foundation for that season needs to be love. It needs to be love. And of course, even the idea of love can be challenging sometimes because it's such a generic word depending on how we use it and depending on the culture and the home we grew up in, how we perceive that word love. It's the reason I can say with all sincerity, I love God and I also love chocolate shakes from Red Robin. Okay, absolutely true. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page when we talk about love, uh, I want to just take a few moments here and I want to let you define love. All right, so uh, I'm just gonna write down some of the words you say. When we talk about love in a marriage relationship, what are some words that come to your mind? Help me out here. Choice. Choice. Okay, what's something else? Committed. Committed. Support. Support. Devotion. Trust. Trust. Come on, Timberlake, help me out. Oh, sex. Ooh, I was waiting. Some I thought I was going to say intimacy, you know, the church word, right? But we'll say sex. I love it. That Timberlake church, we'll say it. All right. Anyone else? What, what maybe a word that comes to your mind? Loyalty. Teamwork. All right. Friendship. Forgiveness. Concern. All right, grace, partnership. All right, we'll, start, we'll stop there. All right. All right. Now, here, here's the deal. Think about this, man. These are your words, not mine. Commitment, choice, support, devotion, trust, sex, loyalty, teamwork, friendship, forgiveness, concern, partnership, grace, patience. And yet, when we talk about love in the context of a relationship, outside of an environment like this, where we're just throwing out words, we often talk about it in terms of emotion. We talk about it in terms of feeling. We say, oh, we have so much chemistry between us. Oh, I can't keep my mind off of him. He can't keep his mind or other stuff off of me. I mean, there is some, we have chemistry. There's just, we're together and these fireworks. I've never felt this way about anyone before. So when we talk about relationships, we almost always talk about it in terms of feeling and emotions. But when I ask you to define love in in the aspect of a relationship, almost every single one of these words that you gave me reveals this thing that we all know about love, but we we don't really talk about it. And that is love is a choice. You can't escape it. Love is a choice. You have to choose to be patient. You have to choose to show grace. You have to choose to forgive. You have to choose to have concern. You have to choose to be loyal. You have to choose to be a team. You have to choose to be supportive of one another. In any season of marriage, we can choose to love. And so I want to take the final minutes that we have together, and I want to look at the four different seasons of marriage. I want to start with the harshest season, and that is winter. Okay? Winter is defined by a a season of anger and hurt and disappointment. That's what the climate is like in the season of winter. And of course, there's lots of things that can bring on the season of winter. An affair can bring on winter. Ongoing mental health issues, abuse, overwhelming financial problems, severe and unexpected loss, emotional distance. What happens in the season of winter is things get very, very cold. So critical words are spoken. Sex becomes a battlefield. 
Arguments fluctuate between silence and screaming. And the temptation for, for anyone in a winter season of a relationship is to just withdraw. And that just makes sense, right? Let's find a place to get away from the harsh and the bitter conditions. You may be living in the same house, but you end up living very different lives because you, you're detached emotionally and physically and, and you're just at a point where you feel desperate. And if that's where your marriage is, I want you to know there is hope. There is hope if you can find a way to persevere and to get through. 86% of couples that have been interviewed as a, uh, in regards to where their marriage is at, 86% of couples that say, we are unhappy. If they stay together five years later, those couples say, uh, we, we are glad we, st we stayed together. So of all the couples that say we're unhappy, five years later, if they stay together, 86% of them will say, we're glad we moved on and we stayed together in those difficult times. So just as most people would never just lie down in the snow when it's winter, there's no reason to be passive about accepting the coldness of a wintry marriage. And you might remember this. I, I actually do. I was uh, in college when this happened. Uh, there was a young couple that got lost in the Sierra Nevada mountains back in 1993. They were stranded in a blizzard. They hiked for several miles, finally found a frozen cave to kind of hunker down in. The 21-year-old mom breastfed her four-month-old son to try to keep him alive. And then her husband hiked 40 miles in the crazy conditions to go and get help. And thankfully, they were rescued. Thankfully, people came to their aid and they survived this horrible ordeal. Well, when couples persevere and they begin to take positive steps in their relationship to improve their marriage, what happens often is they emerge stronger and more committed to one another. They're able to work through their differences. And so for those of you who are in a winter season of marriage right now, let me just, I'll just put a very small uh, amount of space there on your notes, um, but you can maybe write down something that comes to your mind. How do you make the most of a winter season? Inevitably, we're all going to experience winter in our relationship. So when it's there, how do we make the most of it? The first thing I wrote down, and this isn't going to pop up on the screen or anything, but I just said, work on yourself. The, the best thing we can do when we're in a difficult season is say, okay, what can I do to improve? How can I focus on myself? What are some communication skills I can develop? What are some things that I can do with my attitude? I would say if you could do it together, that would be great, but get professional help. If your spouse says, I'm not going with you, then go by yourself. Don't be above asking for help from someone who does this professionally. It's a way that we can stay hopeful. Winter is a part of any relationship. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Imagine what it would be like, and imagine what would happen if you worked through the pain in your relationship. I'm not making a blanket statement here. I realize that there are times for your emotional or physical safety, you have to call it quits. But what if in a winter season of your relationship, you said, I don't like doing this and I don't like to, to take the, the course I'm taking, but I have committed to persevere. 
Now, my wife and I, we experienced a winter season of our relationship over the past year. I'll talk about that in, in a little bit and, and just give you a little bit of one of the reasons why we ended up going through that. But we took an entire week this year and went to professional marriage counseling. And believe me, my wife needed it. But we, <laughs> we did that. Why? Because we said we don't want to stay here. Marriage, marriages are perpetually in a state of trans, transition, continually going from one season to another. And it's very easy in a winter season to say, well, I've just kind of fallen out of love. This is just where it's at. It's kind of very easy to accept that this is, this is my life. But here's a reality I hope all of us can embrace. Nobody falls in or out of love. Now, I'll use the phrase fall in love. You'll use it. But the reality is, because love is a choice, you can't fall into a choice. Okay? So I know this is really hurting the romantics in the room, right? It's like, oh, we were in love at first sight. No, you weren't. You weren't patient at first sight. You weren't forgiving at first sight. You weren't. No, love is a choice. And just by nature of the fact, love is a choice. You can't fall in love. And if you can't fall in love, you can't fall out of love. Love is something you have to decide. You can choose to stop showing love, and the choice to stop showing love will affect your emotions, but you can't fall out of love. Now, you know what taught me this? Not the Bible. Not any of the great teachings of Jesus. It was the bachelor. <laughs> That's what taught me this. Okay, now I'll just say, if you've never seen the bachelor, first of all, you're a liar, but if you've never seen the bachelor, Okay, I'm guessing you have an idea of what it is, a reality show with this young, chiseled guy, you know, his 20s or early 30s, beautiful women surrounding him, paradise setting, swimming pools, hot tubs. And like for six weeks, this guy takes these women on exotic dates to really romantic locations like Chili's and to, you know, to, to beaches and the helicopter rides to glaciers and there's a band waiting there, cruises and planes and lighting and music and behind the scenes, people are helping everything get ready to set this atmosphere. I am convinced I could fall in love with my sister in this kind of environment. <laughs> well, after six weeks, what happens? One man finds his soulmate and he has this last rose that he has to hand out to one of two women. And it is agony. If you've ever seen the show, man, you, you know the stress. I mean, the guy walks away, he needs a minute, and everybody just sympathizes for this guy. Oh, it's so cheesy. But most of these women, they're convinced that they've fallen in love with their knight in shining ar armor. Well, of course they feel that way. Because for six weeks, producers have created an environment that manipulated emotions so it was easy to feel love. But when the environment changes, when these women and these guys go back to their hometown and they go back to work, the emotions start to feel different. Why? Because it's a different environment. And of the 33 roses handed out during the different seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, only nine of the couples, I think, are still together, from best I could tell. Don't miss this. You can choose to create an environment that affects emotion. TV has shown us that. The good news is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the apostle Paul paints a picture for us of what an environment of love looks like. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. 
Love is a choice. And the only emotions the Apostle Paul references in that section of verses are the ones that stand in opposition of love. Jealousy, pride, feeling irritated. Well, another season of a relationship that all of us inevitably go through, most of us start here, is a season of spring, right? This is a season that is... Uh, it is a, is a time, or the climate of this season is, is one of anticipation and optimism and excitement. It's a season of new beginnings. Almost every newlywed couple starts here because we got a new life together. If, if you move from one area of the country to the other and you don't have a bunch of friends in a new location, it often becomes a spring for a married couple because we at least have each other, and this is a new time in our relationship. Job changes and career changes actually can be a time of new beginnings because maybe if the old career was draining and it was sucking life out of you, and now you're in a career that, man, you have, it's life-giving, that can do something to a relationship. It's a season where your relationship, uh, where, where you feel a growing appreciation toward one another. Every day just kind of feels like this new opportunity to just love. Oh, I just, I have all these ideas that I just want to throw love on this person. Well, just like in nature, spring is a great time for planting. Uh, in the season of your marriage where you feel like you're in spring, this is a great time to plan and to dream and prepare for the future. And so... In, in your notes where it just says how to make the most of this season. Maybe you have an idea that comes to your mind. I wrote down, this is a great time to find something that you both enjoy doing. If you're in a winter season, you ain't thinking about what we both enjoy. You're thinking about, let's just get through another day. But when you're in spring, this is a great time to say, what do we love doing? My wife and I, we love hiking together. So we do that together. We, we love watching certain TV shows and movies together. And I'd say if you're in this season, be protective of your calendar because spring isn't going to last long. So enjoy it while it's there. Deuteronomy chapter 24 says this, a newly married man, this is Jewish law, a newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. This is Jewish law. If you get married, you got to take a year off. It's like God wanted them to be together for every season, the good season and the bad season, the thin season and the formerly thin season, the rich season and the poor season, the healthy and the sick, the season with no stress and the season with a lot of stress. He says, man, it's healthy. It's healthy to just take some time and enjoy things. So I would say, man, for those of you in uh, this season of your life, create traditions. Create traditions where you say, we're going to do this every Christmas again. We're going to do this every Halloween again. We're going to do this on a monthly basis, whatever that is. Because then when the tough seasons come, you can say, hey, let's at least continue these traditions. One of the traditions I've started, not with my wife, I have plenty of traditions with her, but even with my kids, uh, is ever since they were three, four years old, I would do a, an annual vacation with each of my kids separately. That's made a powerful difference because there have been seasons where I felt disconnected from my kids, but we kept that tradition. Now, I actually don't feel disconnected from my daughter, Alyssa, uh, who I've talked about openly here, and she's actually here with me tonight. We're on a vacation together. Took the last couple of days to just do some things. What traditions do you have in your relationship? This is a great time to start it. Well, the next season of a relationship would be summer. Everyone loves summer. Summer's good. Everybody's happy, relaxed, and satisfied. 
People walking around in Speedos, it is wonderful time of year. Now here's the deal, if your marriage is in a summer season, you know it. It's not the giddiness of spring, it's not like, oh, we just feel these lovey-dovey feelings all the time. No, but there's just a solid commitment to one another. There's a sense of satisfaction. You feel like you're almost reaping the rewards of all the work you did in the spring. Summer has nothing to do with your financial situation, nothing to do with whether or not you feel successful, nothing to do with whether your kids listen to you or don't listen to you. They have nothing to do with your job. They just have everything to do with this sense of commitment where you feel like, man, we're enjoying the results of our hard work. And we've learned to accept our differences and to appreciate how God made us unique. In, in this poem, Song of Solomon, one of the lovers is saying to his beloved, he's saying, you are beautiful, my darling. Beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind the veil. Your hair falls in waves. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. He says, I love the fact you wash your teeth. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth matched with his twin. He's saying, I'm glad you don't play hockey. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. He says, you have a long neck for some that would be a turnoff for me. I'm thinking, Fred Meyer, how can I put some jewelry on that thing? Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. He's talking about his beloved like she is a freaking petting zoo, but he is in love with her. He says, I want you. I admire you. Now, most of us don't get into summer accidentally. It takes time to get there. And if you're in this season, one of the best things I could encourage you to do, because almost any other season it would be difficult, even in spring it would be difficult because we don't know each other to this extreme, I would say develop the habit of praying together. Dr. Phil in his book Relationship Rescue puts out a fascinating statistic. He said the divorce rate in America is one divorce for every two marriage. That's nothing new. He said the divorce rate from a study he was quoting, he said the divorce rate from couples who pray together is one in 10,000. You say, I don't know how to pray with my spouse. Then how about this? Just hold hands and start, start that way. Just hold hands and pray silently in your heads. And then maybe when you get that down, maybe you say, we're going to pray. We're going to go into different rooms. We're just going to write down a prayer. And then we're going to come back and we're going to read what we wrote. And then maybe when you, you build enough confidence, you can just say, okay, we're going to pray these short prayers. And we're just going to Pray them out loud. The key word is short prayers, right? We don't want to pray for every missionary around the world, and we don't want this to be a, a, a difficult time, but where you, you just come out and you learn, and then eventually it gets to the time of we establish time to pray together, and uh, we're just honest and vulnerable in our prayers with each other. If you're in a summer relationship and marriage, I'm going to say it'd be a great time to find couples who are fans of your marriage that you get to hang out with and do vacations with and build relationships so that when you go through a difficult time, you have people who are cheering you on. When my wife and I went this summer to, I didn't want to say this summer, I wanted to say this last year because this summer's like, that was just a couple of months ago, Dave, when we took a week this summer to go for marriage counseling, quite honestly, um, there were probably six or seven couples that were close to in our life. They attend the church that I pastor. They knew. They knew why we were there. They, every day, hope you guys are loving it and we're praying for you. And I always text them back and say, Therapist says I'm a model student. He tells me I should be teaching this thing. You know, I'd always be, I'd always be total lie, but I would just, uh, you know, be, be lighthearted about it. But guys, we need people who are fans of our marriage. And then finally, the fall season of a relationship. This is where 
we're starting to feel detached and frustrated, maybe a little uncertain about where things are headed. And I realize that for many, this is our favorite season of the year, like naturally. The leaves are, you know, it's colorful. But we know this, that with all the color there, it's also a transition. And unfortunately, the color's temporary. And over a period of six to eight weeks, the beauty's going to fade and there's going to be really nothing left to protect the forest. And so if you're starting to feel a little detached, maybe there's some transitions going on that you're just like, ah, I just, it's not, I love them. I love her, but maybe you're just, your calendar's out of control. I just say, pay attention. What brought on winter in my marriage was something I talked about earlier uh, at Timberlake when I spoke this summer, and that is our church just went through a very difficult season where we had to move our campus. We lost hundreds of people in this time, and it was just, it was a very, very challenging thing, but it affected me, and because it affected me, it brought stress to me, it affected our marriage. And so all I'd say is if you're in fall and you sense that transition, be intentional about date nights, be intentional about how you communicate, be intentional about having sex, Right? Single people plan not to have sex or you will. Married people plan to have sex or you won't. If you're not careful, the fall season will inevitably turn into winter. So how do you make the most of the season? You learn to communicate. You learn when there's issues to say, hey, we're fighting the issue. We're not fighting one another. We're looking for ways to connect. Guys, my hope and my prayer with all of us is that God would help us to have healthy marriages that endure every season. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting timberlakechurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.